So, as I said <coughs> earlier, we're going to uh, look at, uh, we're walking through the lectionary if you're newer to Polaris. It's a cycle of readings read all throughout the world. And um, we're at this particular passage today in Genesis chapter 12. And I want, you, I want to do a few things today. I want you to see, first of all, we'll read it, obviously. And then I want you to see how it fits in the flow of um, the creation story in the early part of Scripture and kind of frames up what God is going to do through the rest of the Bible. And then we'll look and see how it fits in who Jesus was and what Jesus did and through a story from Jesus' life. And then um, we'll talk about what it means for us today. So I'm going to start with this reading, <clears throat> Genesis 12. I want to invite you, we have the lights up, um, to grab either, you feel free to use smartphone or a Bible in front of you. would love it if today, for the first part especially, you would follow along. So if you want to turn to Genesis 12, that would be excellent. Um, and then we'll walk through the first few chapters um, and kind of see the flow of the story. So this is Genesis 12. It's probably on like page 3 or 4 of the Bible in front of you. Um, just look for the big number 12 if you're brand new to the whole Bible thing. Incidentally, if you are new to the Bible, feel free to like take one of these and just keep it. All right. The Lord said to Abram, who would later become Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So the Christian tradition and the Jewish tradition all point to Genesis 12 as a, a very crucial moment in Scripture. So this is like a benchmark Scripture in the Old Testament for both Jews and Christians. And so we look at this and we say, wow, that's a neat thing for, uh, for Abraham. And that, can I, there's, there might be a monitor on or something is, is maybe lower it a little bit because that ring is, thank you. Um, so we would look at that and we would say that's a good thing, right? To, to be called out by God to be a blessing, to get to bless other people and that, that God had a special plan for your life. But I think if we look at the flow of uh, the Bible, we'll see... Um, even more significant. So what I'd love for you to do is, is to take out, uh, open up to Genesis chapter 1, like first page of the Bible. And we're going to pretend that uh, we're on a um, desert island. We've been shipwrecked and we have amnesia. We know nothing about God, nothing about faith, nothing about church, blank slate, nothing about the Bible. We don't know there is a Bible. And an angel comes uh, from nowhere and gives you a Bible. It says here, it's the story of God and people, and then flies away. Now, you'd probably be pretty upset because you'd want the angel to actually get you off the island, but he doesn't. All you get is a Bible. And you know, okay, this is the story <coughs> of God. This is the story of, of um, what God is doing and what God wants and all of those things. And so you start to read, and you see that the first two chapters um, are essentially a poem, and they're a creation poem of how the creator creates the world. Um, and there's, it's my understanding in the ancient Hebrew that there's a rhythm, there's like a cadence, there's a flow of this poetry, um, and what, what God wants is for people to understand that 
that he poured himself into his creation and he's happy about it. Like this isn't some crazy, chaotic, God creates and God enjoys. And you also see in the first chapter that um, as you read for the first time the Bible, you see that uh, God um, creates people and people have a special place in God's creation as those who are made in God's image. And so you see, wow, people are, are like the standout of creation. You also see that they have a mission. It's a two-part mission. It's, it's multiply, multiply, and, and, and fill the earth. So multiply and fill the earth. That's, that's their mission. You see that from chapter 1. Then you turn to, uh, to chapter 2 and you see choice. You see, okay, this isn't about robots. This is about choice. God says, I hope that you'll choose friendship with me. Like, walk with me in, in somewhat uh, naivety. Just enjoy each other. Uh, enjoy freedom. Enjoy um, authentic relationship. There's no guilt. There's no shame. Walk with me. Or you can choose the mystery box. Like, option A, a paradise for all eternity. Or the mystery box. You can eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you'll know good and evil then. You'll lose your naivety and your innocence, and then you're going to die. And you read that, and you're like, ooh, option A, option A, come on, pick option A. And then you get to chapter 3, and you see the mystery box. <laughs> they, they picked option B. They ate from the, they, they, broke, they broke the rule. You also, as you see chapter 3, so you're feeling pretty good after chapter 2. And you get to chapter 3, and you're like, oh, man, there's this enemy that's introduced an enemy to God's plan and to people, and the, the, he coaxes the people into rebelling against God, and now there's sin, and now there's death, and there's punishment, but there's also a promise. The promise is, God says, I will defeat you. You will be crushed. So now you're reading, and you're like, okay, there's this bad guy, this serpent, this enemy, but God's going to crush him, and so it frames the way you take in the rest of the story now, because now it's like, okay, how's God, how's God going to win? against this enemy. Then you get to chapter 4 and you're just taking in this story and it's taking a quick turn. Like you're on, still on page 1 or page 2 maybe and it's like, oh man, they wrecked it. Well then you get to page 4 and we meet human being number 3 and number 4, Cain and Abel. Those are Adam and Eve's kids. And then you read that person number 3 kills person number 4, murders person number 4, his own brother, because he thinks God likes him more. And so now we got six characters. Got six. We got six characters in God's story so far that you're reading. Uh, there's God, and then there's two humans who rebel against God. There's an enemy, and then there's person number five who kills person number six. This is like a train wreck already. You're on the second page of the Bible, and it's a total train wreck. Then you get to chapter 5, and, and they get into the whole population of the earth thing, and that's going okay. <coughs> but then by chapter 6, we read this. <coughs> the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Every inclination of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. That can actually also be translated like repented, like a genuine 
about face, like, oh man, that was a really bad idea. And his heart was deeply troubled, so the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have ever made them. So when we think about Noah's Ark, we think about like nursery, toddler rooms, whatever. Really, this is like this awful story of God pushing the reset button because every inclination of the human heart was only evil all the time. So you get your book of God from the angel, and you're on like page four. And humanity is a dumpster fire. Like, it is awful. Can you imagine taking that in, thinking, oh my gosh, this is, see, this is why for me, like, people, I hear people say that the Bible is like propaganda meant for organized religion to suck money out of people, whatever. One of the reasons I trust the scriptures is because if it were propaganda, I think it would start differently. Like, I, I, like, that's not a very good way to start something that you want, like, people to, to unite people around. There's this God, and he has this dream, and it's a total failure. But that's where we are in chapter 6. Chapter 7 and chapter 8 are all about the boat, the flood, the, the destruction of the earth. Chapter 9 and chapter 10 are the reset. Like, the world is repopulating now. And so we get to chapter 11. You're on, like, page 5 of this book of God. And remember the two-part command of God? Multiply and fill the earth. So God says, here, people, you're made, multiply and fill the earth. Okay, that's your job. Multiply and fill the earth. We get to Genesis 11. This is on the reset. This is version 2.0. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved, moved eastward, they found a plain some name, and they settled there. And they said to each other, let's make bricks and bake them so they're gaining in their ability to create, and they find a way to make tar and mortar and all that. And then they said, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Let's find a way to not fill the earth. God says, paradise, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Version 2.0 says, man, how about we don't do that thing that God told us to do? So now we're through chapter 11, and it's like the, the humanity is, is, the problem is like this is us. Like, like we can look at it and say, oh my gosh, those people were awful. But we're, we're just as rebellious and take a look at any you know, news section and you see that we're no different. But would you agree that if you're reading this, this is a total mess by like page six of the book. Now, if this were me and I were God, best case scenario for those people is I just walk away. Like, I'm going to go do something else. You guys, just, you know, whatever. And I'm going to go do this thing over here. I'm going to go make some robots who will love me or something like that. You know, I mean, worst case, you don't even save Noah. You just wipe the whole thing flat and call it a failed experiment. Or you, like, like I, I would assume if, if, if a modern-day word processor comes with an undo button, 
that back then you just like push the undo button and it just never happened. Like if I'm God, I figure I can do that where it's just like undo, never happened. Let's just forget about that and go on to this other thing. But instead, God goes to a man named Abraham and he said, I want you to leave everything and I'm going to make you into a great nation and you are going to be, through you, you are going to be a blessing to all people. So God not only is ready to like not wipe everybody out, he actually still wants to be a blessing to everybody. Now what we learn in the New Testament is ultimately he has Jesus in mind because the two genealogies of Jesus take Mary and Joseph, trace them back to Abraham. So through Abraham, his descendants, God saves the world on the cross. But this is an incredible story of the redemptive of nature of God because we're through chapter 11 now. This is just the overview. Like this is the cliff notes and it's awful. But God's posture is to redeem. And he calls Abraham into redemption. Now, if we look at the call of Abraham, it's incredible on a couple different levels. First of all, one of the things that if, if you study um, um, ancient, it's my understanding, I'm by no means an archaeologist, but it's my understanding that the ancients were fascinated by a couple things that dominated their thoughts and their worldview. Number one, um, they, they focused on cycles like the, the lunar, the sun, uh, orbit of the earth, or whatever they knew about that, whatever, cycles of farming and agriculture. It was cycles, and, and there was almost to the, to the point of worship, uh, the, the wheel of life. Like there were these wheels and these round, circular things in almost every ancient culture, and there was this fatalistic idea that you were in this cycle, and it was going to repeat itself over and over and over again, and you were stuck. Like you did, what your parents did, what their parents did. You lived where your parents lived, where their parents lived. There was this, one, this big cycle that you weren't going to get out of. So when God comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to leave your country, your people, and your father's household, this was unthinkable. This was a radical, revolutionary idea. This was an empowering idea where God says, you, Abraham, you can go. And I want you to go do something new. And I'm going to lead you. This was something that was, would, would have been unheard of. Now, if we go to Joshua chapter 24. Um, Joshua chapter 24. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham. There's a specific reason in ancient thinking that he wanted to call the attention. This is what Abraham's father did. Lived beyond the Euphrates. Worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from that land. So what God is trying to say there is consider Abraham, this is years after many generations after Abraham, he's talking to the Jewish people. Consider the fact that Abraham, his father worshiped many gods. What does that tell us about Abraham? He would have worshiped many gods because you did what your dad did and what your mom did and that was the cycle it was the household religion and actually Jewish tradition tells us that Abraham's family made their money on making idols for people 
So not only did they worship, like they helped other people worship many gods. So it wasn't like Abraham was some religious perfect guy that got it and understood it. He was as far away as anyone. God picked him and he said, you leave it all and be a part of my redemptive process. I love that. That God empowered Abraham and made him a part of the redemptive process that ultimately brought salvation to the world. I mean, I love the fact that God still wants to save this mess of humanity, and I love the fact that he picked a guy who was far from him and said, you go start something new, and I'm going to guide you in doing that. Because what that tells us is no matter who we are, no matter where we've been, when God calls us, when we're ready, we're immediately in the game. We're immediately ready to redeem. Now, there's a place in Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, I don't have slides for this because I just wanted to add this like late last night. Um, Mark chapter 5 is a crazy story about Jesus. So this is long after everything. And just to make sure that we're clear, Abraham... Um, gave birth, he didn't give birth, his wife gave birth, Isaac, and then, and then there was Jacob, who was named Israel, who became the father of the Israelites, the people of God. So Abraham was like grandpa of the people of God, So that's, that's and then, which then brought us Jesus. So just to clarify that. So anyway, Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee, and it says he crosses over to this region and there's this demon-possessed guy there who says, My name is Legion, for we are many. In other words, he is possessed by a lot of demons, like Exorcist three type stuff. And the Bible says that he runs through the tombs, like he lives in the tombs. And he runs around naked and screaming and yelling and cutting himself, and nobody can... Um, Nobody can, like, subdue him. They tried chaining him. He breaks the chains. He's nuts. And he's running around. And, like, when you think about somebody being, like, tough, you, you live in the tombs, you run around naked and cut yourself, that, that's, that's, that's a tough dude, okay? So, so Jesus comes there and, um, and sets him free and uh, casts out these demons. And then it says, so this guy, oh, also, also, who... Anybody know where um, Jesus is very famous passage? Jesus sends the demons into something specific. A herd of pigs. Which tells us with a herd of pigs there, of thou, like 2,000 pigs, I think it says, that this was not like Jew central. Okay, so, so it's not like... It, it's, it, it's not like this guy would have had a, a, a strong grasp on the ways of God in, in the Old Testament. Um, this is a region where far from God. Okay, anyway. Now, verse 14. Yeah, verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened and when they came to see Jesus they saw the man who had been possessed uh, by the legion of demons sitting there uh, dressed in in his right mind he you know his hair's combed he's looking good he's not yeah um, 
I think he voted Republican by then and did everything. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people, I got to stop riffing it. Just, um, those who had seen it told the people uh, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and, and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They just, you know, they're not familiar with any of this stuff. It's weird. It's not that any of us are familiar with, like, you know, casting demons out into pigs. But, like, the whole religion thing is not something that they're interested in. They just like, can you just go, please? As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord had done for you and how he has shown mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. <clears throat> I love this story. There is no reason to believe that this guy knew anything about the Jesus lifestyle. There's no reason to believe that he knew anything about Jewish culture, about like moral systems. All he knew, I woke up possessed by demons. I woke up naked and running around in the tombs, screaming and yelling and cutting myself. And this guy set me free. And it says he went all through the decay. Like Jesus sent him. Jesus said, you're ready. You're in the game. Go. Get people to where you are. The same day, Jesus sent him out to join God's redemptive plan for the world and point people to Jesus. So we see Abraham, when God says, just go. Go be a part of the redemptive process. Called him out of making idols and worshiping idols. And, into the, and then we see Jesus calling this guy from a life of being possessed by demons to helping people find Jesus and in, in, in entering God's redemptive process. So what you and I can, can, can see from this and dozens of other examples is that, and this is what I love about the Jesus lifestyle, you can start now. Like we tell people at Polaris, you need to live like Jesus, you need to invest in relationships, you need to make a difference, and you can start doing that from day one. Like you have the Gospels in front of you, the teachings of Jesus, you can help people, you can invest in friendships and relationships. Like, you, you, ready, go. Sometimes we get caught up in thinking that we got to get, like, like oh, I, I need to know more, I need to learn more, I need to experience this more, i got some things i got to work on. Well, according to Scripture, yeah, yeah, you probably do, just like I do. But you're ready now, like shovel ready, get in there and do it. So I want to read Isaiah 58 real quick. Um, this is what God is saying he wants from us like now. Is not this the lifestyle? I inserted lifestyle. He says fasting, the idea of the, like ritualistic. Is this not the kind of ritualistic living that I've chosen? Loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, break every yoke. Share your food with the hungry, provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, clothe them. Don't turn away from your own family. 
And your light's going to break forth like the dawn. Your healing will appear quickly. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You'll call and the Lord will answer. You'll cry for help and they will say, here I am. So here's what God says. Go do something about something. You go now and make a difference. Find something and make a difference. Ready, go. You join the redemptive process because rather than look at the mess of humanity, God chose to redeem it. And he calls us to go and do the same. Now, it can be difficult to figure out what you're supposed to do and where and when and how. I would say, first of all, there are some things that are obvious. Like, like you see somebody in a pit, you help them out, right? It's not like, oh, I'll be, I'm going to go pray about this and then I'll come back and if you're still there. Um, but then there are other things where you try to figure out, what does God really want me to do with my life? So, Jen Kerr, who loves to speak in front of people, is going to come share with us for a minute as an expert doer of redemptive things. Um, and and what, I, what I like about what's going on here is this, there's a new thing that God seems to be doing in our midst. Jen happens to be one who is at the center of that. And we don't know what it's going to look like yet. Um, just trying to figure that out as we go. So, um, and, and I guess as a... Um, as a preface. Jen's been a follower of Jesus for a long time and you're aware, she's aware that she should be like looking to help God do what he's going to do and do something about something. Um, so she knew to be looking for this. But So you're, talk us through kind of what God has shown you, what God has put on your heart in terms of making a difference lately. How did he step in? How, yeah. You worded that differently this time. It's confusing. Um, <laughs> say that first thing that we were going to say. <laughs> so um, I guess over the past few years, between uh, when I was substitute teaching in the schools and then things that my kids would come home and tell me about their classmates, um, I've seen a lot of needs for kids, um, specifically at their school, because I spent four days a week working there last year and then, of course, that's the kids that they're telling me about. So I would see kids who, um, for example, our son told us about a classmate of his who only gets to eat dinner on the days that she goes to her dad's house after school. And if she goes to her mom's house, she doesn't eat until she comes back to school the next day. Um, her other kids who just don't have very much food at home, kids who need clothes or there's a fire and they lose everything they have. Um, so between being in the school and working with the kids or stories that my kids come home with, just have seen a lot of need right here in our community. Okay. So first of all, it's realizing I'm supposed to do something out there when I see stuff. And then kind of being aware of what, what, am, what am I, what's going on right in the, because if you look at like the, the demon-possessed guy, um, we'll call him Brian. Um, uh, God, Jesus that's said... That's a good, good name. Yeah. I, I'm sure that was his name. He was a Steelers fan, too, I hear. <laughs> um, so he said, right where you're at, go tell your friends. So it's like being aware of what's going on right near you, that you're in the mix. It's not like you have to look far away. It's, it, it's being aware of what is God put in front of me right now. Then as you began to think about what can I or should I do about this? What kind of started to happen? What were some things that God put together or whatever? 
Well, at the time that I was seeing these things, um, I was also having some small group meetings that Tamara Swanson's in. I noticed she's still not here, is she? Yeah, I think she completely totally avoided this morning. <laughs> Um, and she's seeing a lot of the same things and just really has a passion for the kids. Her, her kids go to Applewood, and so she's seeing a lot of needs there at that school and um, really feels the need to do something about it. And so seeing another person who is experiencing the same thing I am, that there's, we're surrounded by kids who have needs in our community that aren't being met, and what should we do? So God, one of the consistencies is sometimes there's just one-time needs. Other times, God puts things together, and a lot of times that happens when people who are feeling like things start to connect with each other, and then you're like, oh, God's doing something here that's similar that he's doing here, and all of a sudden, resources and people start to kind of come together, versus uh, uh, traditionally, a lot of times, things are done almost deductively, like it's, okay, I got an idea. How are we going to brainstorm now how to put this thing together? Like there's that way. Sometimes that goes well, rarely though, when it comes to this kind of thing. Typically God puts it together. You just have to be aware of what, of, of what he's doing. So you're at a place now, I think it's safe to say, where we don't know, like as a church, there's this thing that we think we're calling it Polaris Love Kids. It's literally a, a name. And, and there's some ideas, but we're kind of waiting to see what is God putting together, who is God putting together to make a difference, to help children, under-resourced children, experience God's love and redeem them from their situations and all that. What's going on right now that people here should be aware of? How could they help? What are you looking at right now? Um. So the, the tricky thing is the logistics of, um, first of all, knowing what the need is and then how do you actually meet the need. And I was hesitant to even come up here because I don't have a plan to come up here and say, here's what we're going to do and how we're going to fix this. I don't know. I've not known what I'm doing for 17 <laughs> years now. So we're um, welcome to the stage. So what I, where I'm at right now is... Um, Kind of like when the police department has come to us several times in the past with a need that has arisen and said, can you help us with this? I kind of have that kind of a feeling for what God wants us to do is just to develop a group of people who are willing and ready to meet a need when it surfaces. And so then the question becomes, like, how do you become a resource people can go to when there is a need? And so we're just starting as a way of um, making a first contact with the school supply collection that's going on. And we want to put together a box that we can take to the school and just kind of explain, like, we care about the kids in the community. We want to bless them. And because Memorial and Applewood kind of have large pockets of kids that are needy and because we have school um, contacts there, that's where we're starting is with those two schools and just to be able to say, you know, obviously, if the kids don't have enough food at home, they're not going to replenish their school supplies. And this is the time of year when they're running out of pencils and they're running out of crayons and the glue sticks are dried up and that kind of thing. So we're just going to drop off a box of school supplies that the teachers can take whatever they need and just say, we want to bless the students with this. And just kind of, if you have needs that we can help with, let us know. It's just kind of a first introductory way of trying to develop that relationship that we could be a resource for kids. 
And so if some of these fine people would want to somehow connect for that, what would they do? Um, if you could email, because I won't remember everybody that's talked to me, um, if you could email, it's lovekids at polarischristian.com, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That email will go to both myself and to Tamara, and we'll just put together a list of contacts, and then when we do get a need that arises, we can contact that group of people that has already given us their name and contact information and say, okay, here's a situation, here's a need that we can meet, who's able to help us with this right now? Um, I think that's just kind of how we're going to get started and see where it goes. Can somebody do me a favor that's on their phone and check our app and see if the opportunities button has a Love Kids? I think it might. I can't remember. Um, so lovekids at polarischristian.com. And if anybody's on the app, just yell out yes or no. So basically, just stop me while I'm going to talk for a Thank you, Jen, very much. Um, yeah. Um, there, there's... I'll talk about this more in a couple weeks, and I'm, I'm going to wrap up. Um, there's a lot in Scripture. Notice what Jen said about, and what I'm really excited about this, and there's another thing going on in Cleveland I'm excited about, too, that I hope that you hear about in a little bit, um, next few weeks. Um, Paul talks about wanting to go to certain places, and he's like, he's waiting for a door to open up. That's the language used. Is there? There's not? Okay, I'll do that this week. Um, um, you know what, can you email me right now from your phone and say, put that link on there, then I'll remember. Um, thank you. This is like real-time administration. <laughs> um, so Paul talks about waiting for a door to open up. Jesus talks about when he sends his disciples out, he says, look for the person of peace. The idea is, is don't ram like your, your ideas through, you're, you're looking for where, so Jen said, like, we're connected, we're there, we're in. Where are you and in? And then you notice even in that, what we read there, that people told Jesus they didn't want him, he got in the boat and he left. It wasn't like Jesus was, mm, my agenda. He's looking for where there's already, like, where is God already moving, where are there ins, and you're looking for that. So you might say, what is going on in God's, where does God need to redeem something and, and I represent an in. I'm already in. And then you explore what God is doing there. All right, let's uh, let's wrap up. Let's be done. Stand and uh, I'm gonna pray. Uh, Father, I am so glad. We are so glad that you do not look at humanity as a dumpster fire. Um. You look at us in the midst of our sin and still want to bless. You are set out, bound and determined to redeem, as, as your word says, all things through the cross, to bring all things into unity under Christ. Wow, that just that, that's, that's absolutely incredible. I'm so thankful that that's where your heart is. Thank you for sending your son uh, to, to pave the way for redemption. And help us to have the courage, um, the attitude, the mindset, um, eyes to see how we can engage in that redemptive process. Show us what's next and help us to make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week.